What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast. We're talking about mental health EAPs, and we have Dr. Hector Lopez. He works out in San Antonio with Sean Reedy, so Sean's going to introduce him in just a second. But again, this is the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. And so when we're recording this right now, it's during the COVID-19 stuff, and so the mental health is even more of an issue because people are locked up or you know inside or dealing with the the stress of being a lost season or you know whatever it is and so we're dealing with that on top of the normal need for this so um again this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash mental health eap again sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash mental health eap which will be eligible for ceus once the audio version is released later. So without much further ado, Sean, why don't you introduce Dr. Lopez? So Dr. Lopez works with Sports Medicine Associates here in, in San Antonio. Um, he is one of the primary care sports medicine um, docs that we utilize to help cover with larger high school, so some of the smaller ones on the outskirts. So gets a lot of um, variety of athletes that he gets to see and student athletes that he gets to see. So Dr. Lopez. Good morning. Pleasure to be here with you guys. Um, I know Sean very well. We work pretty closely together in, in various avenues, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here on the broadcast this morning. Uh, like Sean said, I am a primary care sports medicine physician, uh, primary residency in family medicine, did a sports medicine fellowship uh, for extra training, been practicing uh, for the better part of 10 years. Uh, work with multiple schools down from age you know, six, seven to uh, the professional athlete here in San Antonio. Uh, we work with multiple high schools, uh, Trinity University, uh, UTSA, uh, San Antonio FC Soccer Academy, and, and things like San, uh, San Antonio Rampage. Um, so very uh, pleased to be here with you guys today and, and talk about what is a, a very uh, underutilized uh, uh, help topic and uh, unfortunately not discussed enough. And in these strange times, uh, probably more uh, pressing than ever. Um, so we've got some good topics here, and uh, it, it was more difficult than I thought to come up with uh, material uh, in a succinct way for this, because the deeper I researched, uh, the more I realized I can make quite a bit of a series out of, of these issues uh, that you trainers will encounter and, and uh, also send on to the physicians. Uh, so I'm very happy to uh, start these. Uh, broad strokes and, and give you guys a framework in which to um, uh, improve your practices and your programs at your schools uh, so that you can go back and, and identify areas of need and see where we can uh, uh, continue to make improvements um, for the athletes. Uh, one of the interesting things as, as I did my research on this, if you look at the UIL uh, website and most of our, our training uh, uh, items there are areas where we focus very well on sudden cardiac death, concussion, uh, heat illness, uh, but you really don't see the mental aspect uh, of, of an athlete's health uh, discussed widely. It fortunately has become a more important topic uh, in recent years with the acceptance of it and, and bringing to light of it by professional athletes. Uh, so I, I think we're slowly uncovering the tip of the iceberg and uh, I wanna go over some of those issues that you'll encounter. Uh, as trainers, you guys are the front lines. You see everything before everybody else does. You have a special relationship with those athletes. 
And it's, it's uh, your eyes that I, as a physician, trust uh, when you see something that is, is not normal for your athlete or things that concern you. And if you're not looking for some of these issues, uh, they can be very easily missed, uh, undiagnosed, and, and that's when you end up in situations where you're having to react to an emergency you may not have been prepared for. Uh, a good example that was brought up to me as I talked to various trainers about this, I'm sure many of you have thought about what you might do in a school shooting or an active shooter situation. Uh, but have you ever really given thought to a, a suicide type emergency, somebody who's uh, crying out for help or, or acting on, on the idea? And, and if you haven't thought about those uh, or included uh, training and planning for your, your, your regular emergency action plan, um, it, it's a really tough thing to figure out how to deal with on the fly. And uh, it, it's something that I think is vital to your everyday action plan, um, both at the trainer level, but also including your coaches, your ADs, and your other staff in the area, because you're going to need every bit of help uh, you can to, to deal with the situation. So we want to do our best to provide you with more tools in your toolbox uh, to um, do well and, and learn what questions to ask. So I've got a presentation prepared uh, that's, I think, fairly brief, given it's such a large topic. And uh, I'm going to slide on to the uh, share screen here now so we can get that started. <clears throat> so I want to start off with a, a couple of brief videos here. Um, the NCAA has a lot of resources that I think can be applied at the high school level. And your duty as a trainer is, is a little bit more difficult at the high school level because you are dealing with mainly minors. And that makes uh, your job, in my opinion, much harder. Um, so, you know, every district and school is gonna have a different policy, um, but the concepts should still be the same and you know we can share best practices among each other. So simple objective objectives I'd like to accomplish today. Uh, I want us to have a good understanding of a definition of mental, mental health, what it is and what it is not, what mental illness is, uh, help you recognize some signs and symptoms of, of psychological distress and, and common mental disorders in athletes. Uh, your, your job as a trainer is to recognize and refer. We're not asking you to diagnose these issues. Um, so you, you need to have some uh, general information on what you can look for. Uh, athletes are a unique population, and, and we want to talk about some barriers to treatment and how you can maybe assist uh, in, in uh, providing those pathways. Uh, want to talk about some strategies and best practices for helping athletes deal with mental health issues and emergencies, and also just point you to some outside resources uh, to help you implement training and what I think is really important, a culture change at your institution. So those are some simple goals I have uh, out of this little talk here. So to change the, the, the mood here, I want to just start off with a quick uh, couple of videos that are open to the public through the NCAA. Uh, because when you're looking at a mental health issue, you may really only be looking at the tip of the iceberg. And everything on the outside may look good, uh, as athletes are often trained to, to show no weakness. But if you don't ask or start looking, uh, you may you may miss the boat. Mental wellness to me really means being the most complete version of yourself. Um, so obviously the physical is one part of it, but I don't think you can really 
succeed as well as you possibly could in athletics, academics, without truly kind of being sound um, mentally as well as physically. It's hard being in college just to be a regular student in general, but uh, it comes down to, are you taking care of yourself? Um, so simple as nutrition and sleeping. If you can't take care of yourself, you can't function in a normal role as far as performing as an athlete, performing as a student. Um, so a lot of stress comes from that. It's overcoming that stigma and being able to come out as a student athlete and say, I'm dealing with a mental health issue and I need this help. Um, and, and that's the challenge that we face as student athletes. and mental health issues affect more than just our performance. They affect our day-to-day -day lives and our ability to function. So it's very important that the coaches understand that a player might be dealing with something and that that needs to be taken into account at all times. Coaches are the first people that come into contact with the student-athletes. Um, from recruiting to just coming on campuses <clears throat> for visits and you know practices, everything. Um, so to have to understand that the mental wellness part of each of their student athletes and players is extremely important. So having that having that opportunity as a student athlete to, to just be able to go into an office or to just call a friend or call your coach, whatever, um, to have those share those experiences that you, maybe you're going through in a difficult time um, is really beneficial for that student athlete. just making sure that our student athletes have training um, essentially. So just are more aware of the signs if a student athlete is going through something. Um, that's something crucial that we can add to our campuses. Just awareness as a whole needs to get better um, because we're working towards it and we're getting somewhere with mental health as a whole, but I just feel like there's still a lot more that we can do. Okay, so I wanted to share those because I thought they, they did a good job of setting the tone. Obviously, it's a different athlete population. You have a, a more mature athlete. But I think the NCAA has done a very good job uh, over the last several years of improving uh, awareness and planning as you uh, uh, deal with mental health issues in these athletic populations. So what exactly is mental health? You know, according to the, uh, the World Health Organization, it's defined as a state of well-being in which an individual realizes their abilities, they can cope with normal stressors in life, and they're able to product, uh, work productively and fruitfully. So they can make a contribution in their community, their sports, uh, and leave healthy lives. Uh, your mental health involves effective functioning in all daily activities, uh, whether it's work, school, your relationships, uh, your ability to deal with change like we are right now in this COVID-19 pandemic. And it really is your emotion, your, your foundation for emotions, your thinking, your communication at these young ages, uh, their learning and, and their self-esteem. Uh, you know, in general, mental illness really refers to all diagnosable mental disorders or health conditions that, that cause a significant change in your thinking uh, your emotion and your behaviors. Uh, it may cause distress or problems uh, functioning in your social groups at work or, or during your family activities. Uh, the stigma of it is that it, it's a weakness. You know, you need to really look at these 
just like any other injury or medical condition, such as diabetes, heart disease, or an ACL tear. Uh, these can really affect your, your athlete's psyche, uh, which and then in turn will affect their, their ability to recover, uh, increases their stress levels, which can have some physiologic changes in the body that uh, put them more at risk for injury. And there is no barrier uh, to age, gender, your social status, your race, uh, your orientation, or, or any other aspect of your identity. Uh, it affects everybody equally. Um, I want to go over a few myths about mental health. Uh, and, and many people have this uh, idea as well that, well, I, I don't get mental health problems. Uh, when in actuality, they're very common. Uh, if you look at some research uh, a few years ago in 2014, one in five uh, American adults experienced some type of mental health issue. Uh, one in 10 young people had a period of major depression. Uh, as many as 1 in 25 Americans live with a serious uh, mental illness like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or depression. And suicide uh, was the 10th leading cause of death in the United States, and, and it accounts for more than 41,000 uh, deaths in this country. Uh, that's more than double the, the amount lost to homicide. Uh, another idea is that children don't experience mental health problems, which I think we all know is not true. Uh, even young children can show early warning signs of mental health issues, uh, and these are often diagnosable, and, and they're a product of you know, genetic factors, uh, social factors in their upbringing, and psychological uh, issues that they may be exposed to. Um, as many as 50% of mental health disorders actually start showing signs uh, before age 14, and 75% uh, of them begin before age 24. So these age groups that you're dealing with are high risk for some of these uh, problems. And, and if you can identify some of those signs and, and, and symptoms, uh, you may be able to get them help quickly. Because many, more than 20%, or excuse me, less than 20% of, of children and adolescents uh, with diagnosable problems, uh, they don't get the treatment they need. And so early support and identification can really help these problems before they interfere with their other uh, growing needs. Another common myth is that uh, people with mental health problems are violent and unpredictable. Uh, they're no, they're not, not more likely to be violent than anyone else. Um, and, at, and if you look at some statistics, only three to 5% of violent acts can be attributed to people with uh, serious mental illness. Uh, and, and in reality, people with severe mental illness are more than 10 times likely to be actual victims of a violent crime in the general population. Uh, this is a big one in athletics. Uh, personality weakness or, or character flaws cause mental health problems. Uh, and the people with mental health problems can snap out of it if they try hard enough. You know, the, the phrase that even I'm guilty of using in the past is go do some push-ups. Uh, you know, mental health problems have nothing to do with being lazy or weak, and, and uh, many people actually need help to be able to get better. And there are many factors that contribute to these mental health problems, um, such as biological uh, genetic predisposition. Uh, do they have a chronic medical illness or injury that's contributing to higher cortisol levels and stress and uh, affecting a, a person's motivation and ability to recover? Uh, do they have issues with their bank, brain chemistry and, and you know, what people may say is chemically imbalanced? 
have they had any traumatic life experiences? Or do they have a history of, of physical or sexual abuse as, as they were growing up? Um, and there may be a family history of mental health problems, and, and that can be another risk factor, which is maybe more predisposed to having those issues as well. Uh, a very common one that, that is, is mentioned and in, in I encounter is that, well, I can't do anything for a person with a mental health problem. When in fact, uh, friends, family, and, and people such as trainers and coaches can be important influences to help somebody get the treatment and services they need. You know, you're able to reach out and let them know that somebody is there to help, somebody cares. You may be able to guide them to mental health services. Uh, you can learn along with them and, and share facts about mental health, especially, you know, kids will be kids and they say things. And if you hear something that isn't true, you have the ability to uh, step in and provide some education about those issues. Um, and, and you want to treat these people with respect just as uh, you would anybody else and not just say, oh, that's a crazy kid or crazy individual. He's just got problems. Um, stepping in and, and, and showing that you care and, and, and trying to help them can make a big difference. Uh, when you look at the prevalence of, of mental disorders in kids, um, uh, there is a paper that was published uh, not too long ago that showed up to 22.2% uh, described having some sort of distress severe enough to interfere with their daily life. As many as one in three adolescents will have anxiety disorder. Um, I'm sure many of you can remember being a kid and, and there's a lot of uh, social pressures as you're growing up and trying to figure out who you are. Um, certainly it doesn't help if you have an anxiety disorder on top of that. Um, as many as 19.1% of adolescents actually have a diagnosable uh, behavior, behavioral disorder. Uh, and and uh, you'll find quite a few uh, have uh, substance use disorders with alcohol or drugs. Uh, so uh, those aren't isolated just to adult populations. Uh, I put this slide in here because there's a, a, a brief study that was done on causes of sudden death in NCAA athletes in the journal cardiology. And I wanted to highlight the fact that, you know, we focus so much on preventable causes of death, such as uh, sudden cardiac death, and heat stroke and, and traumas. Uh, but if you look at this, this sample size of, of people, uh, that big slice there actually shows that suicide is still a, a fairly large part of sudden death in, in these college athletes. And, and you'll see the same in the general population. So uh, it, it's interesting that we don't focus more on that, given that it is something we probably can do a better job of, of preventing. Uh, I didn't want to bog down too much into the actual disorders for this particular talk, but things that you may encounter as a trainer uh, runs as full spectrum. You'll have kids that have anxiety disorders and social phobias. Uh, you'll run into athletes uh, that have eating disorders such as anorexia or bulimia. Uh, and if you encounter your, your you know, the classic female athlete, athlete triad patient, uh, uh, high distance runner, disordered eating, multiple stress fractures, you may actually be the first one picking up on these disorders uh, and, and can make a big difference uh, by bringing attention to those uh, problems and, and getting them referred to a physician who can help uh, explore those issues. Uh, you'll see things like major depression, uh, PTSD if they've been exposed to uh, some bad history. Uh, they may have 
uh, adjustment disorder where stress is like uh, parents getting divorced or situations like right now with the, the COVID pandemic, uh, they don't know if they're going to be allowed to play sports again, you know, next year. Our family is wondering where they're going to get their income from. And, and these are things that kids pick up on and it certainly starts to make them uh, more nervous and, and stressed. And then, of course, you can have others that have uh, other severe things like bipolar disorder uh, that may be uncontrolled. Uh, and again, they may have sub substance abuse issues and even addiction. Uh, the other thing that's interesting is there may be some coexisting problems that only compound the problem of the mental disorder. So they may have a learning disability. Uh, maybe they have some ADHD or they're on the autism spectrum. And chronic medical illness can certainly contribute uh, to these uh, disorders, even though it itself is not a, uh, a mental disorder, but it can cause things like uh, increased pain responses or, or fatigue issues and lead into those depressive conditions. Uh, and then you got to factor in other situations that, that are, are, you know, in the purview of all this. Uh, bullying is certainly still an issue out there and uh, it's been around at the, you know, children's level for, for all time, um, and it certainly uh, adds fuel to the fire here. Um, some places still have a right of hazing where you got to go through something to, to be part of the team and be accepted. Uh, those are obviously unacceptable behaviors and uh, contribute to these, these problems. Uh, you may not be aware of relationship abuse that they, they're going through with uh, one of their partners. Maybe they've been a victim of sexual assault. Uh, we also see these days gender dysphoria. Um, and then how do you factor in other stressors like an unexpected pregnancy? Um, you might be surprised to know that gambling is an issue. I can remember in high school myself, uh, there were, were several people who had a big problem uh, with gambling uh, uh, on the streets and stuff like that and, and even racked up considerable debts. But you don't really think about that as being a high school issue. And then again, is there an undiagnosed medical condition causing some of these symptoms and leading people to uh, have depression? You know, is there a thyroid disorder or some other metabolic disorder that hasn't been worked up and identified? Uh, and, and kind of like the video alluded to, you know, there are multiple stressors affecting athletes, uh, let alone just being a teen and, and, and growing up, you know, um, Athletes have a pressure to perform. Uh, many of them build their identity around being the best and at what they do and being a champion. Um, your team culture can really affect uh, how safe an athlete feels. Uh, do you have a program where it's win at all costs, or do you have an environment that that promotes safety and, and athlete well-being? Um, you know, are they asked to to pay play unsafely through injuries or? or asked to walk it off or shake it off. Um, the athletes are asked to balance their schoolwork. You know, some of them are trying to maintain a GPA to, to be eligible for a scholarship or just be on the team. Uh, they, they're trying to juggle their sports practice schedules. Some of them have to work on the side. Uh, I deal with a lot of uh, uh, underprivileged kids and, and many of them won't go to practices because they're just trying to help their family uh, provide and they'll work a job on the side and they'll, they'll, uh, contribute when they can. And then add in the fact that many of these are, are starting to have relationships and, and they're figuring out how to handle those complexities. And, and that just puts an extra stressor on the mind for them. 
Uh, and we all know that, that athletes really base their identity on, on uh, being a successful athlete. I'm the star player. I don't, this doesn't happen to me. Uh, I've never had an injury like this. You know, why is this occurring? Uh, and when you have an injury like that, it, it also adds a stress because it, it may cause isolation. You know, uh, take the example of a concussion. If they're not able to tolerate being out with the team, uh, they're taken away from their social networks and their, their interactions uh, and may feel like they're being replaced or, or maybe an injury has forced them to uh, leave their sport. Uh, and that can be very demoralizing and, and detrimental to their mental health. Uh, other conditions that you may not think about as a stressor, but, you know, with, with uh, overuse injuries being at an all-time high, and, and we have a lot of burnout due to early specialization or year-round play, um, you know, you wonder how many of these kids are still in it because they love it or they've been conditioned to um, say, this is what I need to do. And, and I've seen some pretty scary examples of, of uh, burnout and, and um, parents pushing too hard. Um, one that sticks in my mind forever is, is a, a child that had a, a, a little league elbow and shoulder and the particular parent just wasn't understanding that that's a big injury for a developing child. And, you know, I watched a, a interaction between the two where they said, well, you may not be injured there, but we're going to do other stuff. And, and that's hard for a child to, uh, handle when it's coming from a position of authority like a parent. Um, factor in other stuff like, you know, they're, they're expected to perform and, and if, if they're not doing so, they may feel that their value is no longer of worth to the team. Uh, people ask, why do, why do kids, you know, turn to things like, like uh, anabolic steroids and cheating and uh, they may have a, a win at all costs attitude uh, that would make it seem ethically okay to do those things that are otherwise looked down upon uh, because they're trying to help the team. And, and the biggest one is I don't want to show weakness. Uh, I can say I probably did the same as a, a younger athlete. We, we hear and see that all the time. So these are big issues uh, that uh, um, can affect your athlete's mental health and the stigma of having a mental health problem and asking for help is probably the biggest barrier that we encounter uh, to these athletes seeking assistance. And so I, I wanna talk about how uh, we can have some concepts for dealing with injured athletes. Um, I think you guys as trainers and gals are, are uh, in a unique position because you have so much one-on-one -on -one time with them. And I know many of you have several hundred athletes, so it's, it's difficult to uh, get to know everyone. Uh, but you're in a unique position to listen and, and kind of get, get to know what's going on uh, with, with that child, uh, what's going on in their life, you know, um, and, and really be a, a source of positivity for them. In my practice, uh, I've never wanted it to be a very cold and sterile doctor-patient relationship. I want the athlete to be comfortable telling me things, uh, realizing we're there to help them. And I think you have to culture and nurture that relationship. Uh, in order to get them to open up and, and be honest with you. Uh, you need to understand what the injury means to that athlete. Uh, do they have the coping mechanisms to, to handle it? Do they understand uh, what, they're, what they've been diagnosed with and, and what that roadmap is? Uh, and again, the, the team and training culture, training room culture is really important to that, uh, especially in these developing kids. 
because uh, they want to know that they have a support system, that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say that I'm injured. It's okay to, to say that I'm struggling uh, with mental health problems. Uh, otherwise, they may retreat and, and say, I don't want to have that sign of weakness. Uh, in addition to educating the athlete about their diagnosis, I also try to uh, correct any misinformation they have. You know, they may hear things from their friends. Uh, Dr. Google is a big problem in, in my world, uh, trying to make sure that people have the uh, appropriate information. And, and I think as trainers, you're also very important in helping the athlete understand their roadmap for recovery. Uh, athletes tend to be very goal-oriented, and you know, uh, we like to say to get to step A, we to, we'll start at step A, get to B, C, and so on. And if you can provide that structure, I think they respond very well to that for the most part. But, you know, they're, they're intelligent. And, and if you treat them as if they were five-year-olds, uh, eventually they're going to shut down and figure it out on their own. And, and to me, that's not a good thing. So I, I do try to over-inform as much as possible. Um, the biggest thing that I think you can also take away from this is it, an emotional response to injury is normal. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be angry. Um, and I don't think we should uh, discourage uh, some of those emotional responses. And, and you're going to see the full gamut of reaction uh, from anger to sadness, irritation. They may say my life is over. I don't have any motivation to do anything. Uh, if it's a, a large injury that's, that's slow to recover and rehab, they may show frustration. And, and you may start to see those signs of, of stress and early depression, uh, even though they may not have the diagnosis, where they report changes in appetite. And that can be eating more and less. Uh, they may be sleeping poorly. They may be disengaged. They may not show up to your training room for rehab and, and come up with excuses. Um, and that's not always the kids just acting out. I know teenagers can be very dramatic, um, but they may not know how to cope with these emotions. And I think that's where we can really help coach them and be a sounding board uh, to have them open up and what are you feeling? Uh, how are you handling this? Uh, you know, are you doing okay? The, the child may be feeling that they've been left behind as they get replaced by the next player in line. And, and all of a sudden they're not, you know, um, the favorite on the team and, and uh, leading the charge there. So uh, this is a, a very key thing in, in keeping their, their mood up and, and uh, staying on top of them. And it is extra work on top of everything you're already asked to do. But I think it is a very important one to, to monitor these uh, because just like in a concussion, when, you know, and a trainer tells me uh, this kid isn't acting right. You're going to know these guys and gals, and you can tell a, a counselor or a doctor, hey, this behavior is not normal, uh, and we may need to look into this further. Um, and, and again, that response to injuries is interesting uh, because of those isolation factors and the stress over it. Um, the stress can actually lead to an increased risk of injury. Uh, it causes more muscle tension. It, it causes poor concentration, which affects their performance. Higher cortisol levels can, can affect their healing process. And, and those physical injuries can, again, trigger a depression and, and other responses that may not have been apparent before uh, if they've never encountered that situation. And, and some of those symptoms are the things that, that you should monitor for and, and 
add in the emotional aspect of, hey, how are you handling this? How are you? Are you sleeping? Are you dealing okay with this? Are you doing okay in your classes? Um, you know, somebody may not have asked the athlete those questions. Uh, and when you're looking at the uh, emotional responses, you know, it's, it's not just the outbursts and anger and withdrawal, but if you're seeing some problematic uh, emotional responses, uh, you really need to have your, your, your radar turned on and, and watch for red flags. So if you're seeing persistent symptoms like changes in appetite, they're not sleeping well, they're very irritable, or those symptoms appear to be getting worse. Uh, like the, the video mentioned, you know, that one swimmer said, oh, if I could just be lighter, I, I would have made my time. So she stopped uh, eating and, and, and having some of those behaviors. Uh, is their sadness getting to the point where they're having depression? Uh, lack of motivation may, may cause the apathy and I don't want to do this. I don't want to come to rehab. And, and that uh, disengagement from the team makes them feel alienated because they're not part of it any longer. And then are they showing excessive symptoms like pain that's out of proportion? Uh, you're seeing excessive anger or rage outbursts and uh, crying emotional outbursts that may not be normal for them. And then uh, substance abuse. Uh, there's a, a much higher incidence uh, at the collegiate level, and I'm sure it's there to some degree at the high school levels as well. Um, but we really want to catch these athletes before you know they start to go underwater and, and, and not ask for help. Um, so you know, rather than getting into the uh, diagnoses themselves of depression and uh, eating disorders and, and that sort of thing, I think it's more important for trainers to focus on symptoms, to recognize uh, and and help them understand when you should uh, start to get your attention caught up and, and start to look into referring for further evaluation. So just keep in mind, they're, they're gonna run the gamut from physical symptoms like change in appetite, weight loss, uh, fatigue, stress, performing poor, poorly in school. Uh, my belly always hurts, I've got headaches or, or overuse injuries that may not have been ha happening before. Um, the athlete may report you know, feeling out of control. They may demonstrate excessive mood swings and and fear and have you know, low self-esteem and lack of motivation. Uh, from a cognitive standpoint, um, they could display poor concentration, suicidal thoughts, um, um, all or nothing thinking, saying, you know, if I can't do this, I can't do anything. Negative self-talk will start to appear. Uh, and then you may see behavioral disruptions. You know, they're not uh, associating with their friends. Uh, they're not showing up to their, their training with you. They're missing class, they're fighting and, and having problems uh, with authority. And, and, and again, you may see declines in their performance in school uh, and, and sport if they're still active. So, you know, the barriers to seeking care, number one is still going to be stigma. They don't want to be seen as somebody who needs that help. Uh, they may have a very poor health literacy understanding that there actually is a problem and that these health issues are, are really uh, diagnosable. It's not just weakness or, or a, a character flaw. Um, some of them may be not willing to express emotion. Uh, they may feel that there's a lack of time to go get seen. They may even be in complete denial that there is an issue. Uh, and many times they're not sure who to ask for help. Um, who do you admit that you're having some of these thoughts to? Is there a process where they can come to a coach or trainer or counselor and not feel that they're being judged. 
Um, they may be fearful of expressing uh, those issues. And they may uh, wonder if, if talking about that is going to affect their ability to keep playing on the team or, or train. Uh, some may feel that it doesn't help, and, and maybe they don't have access. Uh, maybe they have a family that is unable to take them to appointments. Uh, I encounter that frequently with my, my lower income family. Sometimes it's just a challenge uh, to get them to the office, even for a, a severe musculoskeletal injury. So uh, they may not be willing to admit that they don't have the resources to get to an appointment or they couldn't find somebody to take them to the doctor. Or maybe they just didn't have the money to help cover their, their copay and the costs of, of getting evaluated. Uh, there are also items that can help facilitate an athlete seeking care. Uh, and a big part of that is increasing their awareness of mental health issues and educating them about it or what services might be available. Um, you, know, you, you can encourage them uh, that this is an open area they can come to you and talk to about and provide that social support uh, from your end and the coaching end. Um, if they have accessibility, you know, money and transport is, is a big deal, unfortunately and uh, it's a more difficult one to um, address. And if you have a positive relationship, and this goes back to that team culture, um, you know, is it an area where they feel that they can ask for help or are they gonna feel like they're gonna be ignored uh, or, or not taken care of? Uh, confidentiality is another big one. You all get HIPAA training and uh, they wanna know that their issues are gonna be kept private and not exposed to the rest of the team. Um, if time is made for them to be uh, evaluated, they may be more interested. Uh, if they're maintained into the athletic life, uh, case in point is the concussions. I say, if you don't have symptoms that keep you from, from being at practice and watching, you know, you may not necessarily participate, but uh, uh, keeping those social circles intact can have a really positive effect on their well-being. And, and hopefully they've had a positive past experience when seeking care for not only injuries, but mental health issues so that they don't have uh, such a stigma or fear of, of uh, expressing their emotion and being open about what they're dealing with. Um, so again, in your role as a trainer, I think rapport is key. You got to know your kids and, and what they're going through and what they may be dealing with. And so, uh, you want to encourage that supportive culture so that they know they can come to you. You want to respect their privacy and, and not um, kind of ask them these types of questions in front of their teammates and, and other people. Um, and, and acknowledge and understand that even at this age and, and older, their identity is, is who they are as a person may be tied to being an athlete. So if they can no longer be that successful uh, sports person. Uh, they may have a really big uh, problem coming to grips with that and uh, that's something that we can help them help them work through uh, and they may have never experienced a major injury in their life and they can't understand why this happened to them and, and as with everything it's, it's part of growing and developing as an individual things happen in life uh, and we can you know certainly try to minimize the fact that they may feel they're no longer a part of the team because they can't contribute or, or participate and then the biggest thing you want to do is be on the alert for red flags as you guide them through this process. So, you know, some simple tips. You want to interview your athletes away from the other athletes or with another staff, staff member if possible, but you know, don't do it in front of the entire group. Um, 
at the at the high school level, it's kind of difficult because you're dealing with minors. And I know um, different schools have different policies and, and procedures for encounter these encountering these situations. And I kind of did an informal survey of, of some people and, and kind of saw what their instructions were. And it ranged from, you know, don't ask about anything uh, to it's okay to ask or if the information is offered, you can ask about mental health issues. But that doesn't mean you can't ask open-ended questions uh, that can alert you to problems. You know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? How are you handling these things? Um, you know, and, and there's often a concern that if you ask about things like, like symptoms of suicide and risk and, and depression, uh, that you're gonna increase the risk of them completing the act. And that's certainly not the case. In fact, it may actually prevent something. So, so you wanna uh, be involved and in, in ask some of those difficult questions uh, to see if you can get some information. And actively listening allows you to discover hints of, of larger psychological stressors that they may not have shared with you before. Uh, they may open up and say, this is what's going on in my life, coach, and uh, I don't know how to handle it. Um, and, and doctors are probably some of the worst at this, but if, if, if you just let somebody talk for a couple of minutes, you'd be surprised at the amount of, of information they'll give you. You can just be an open uh, source there for them to lay it out uh, without interrupting. And sometimes that can be difficult to do because you're under time constraints, uh, but it can be a big uh, key into uh, knowing your athlete better and what they're dealing with. Um, this is a very busy slide, but you know there are many red flags that can uh, be monitored and, and considered signs for increasing suicide risk. But uh, just to briefly go over some of them, if you see an individual talking about wanting to die or kill themselves, uh, that's a big uh, concern, uh, especially if, if they've talked about how they're going to do it or if you know that they have access to firearms or other weapons. Um, if they're feeling like they don't have any hope, um, they're being a burden to others, uh, you know that they may be using alcohol or drugs or uh, withdrawing from family and friends. Um, some may say, oh, I don't want you to look at me. I don't want to be seen. And you may be the only person who tells that individual, hey, I want to see your face. Let me see that smile. Uh, simple things like that can let you know that you care, let them know that you care about them and, and uh, uh, can make a big difference. Um, other things that you may not consider, you may just think they're being a, a crazy kid, but what if they're taking great risks uh, that could lead to death, such as you know, driving fast and reckless behaviors? Um, and if you see, you know, say, you know, goodbye to family or, or giving away possessions, and, and oddly, um, one that goes from uh, the extreme of a mood swing where you notice a person is very sad to all of a sudden being very calm and happy uh, for no reason. Uh, you would hope that would be a good thing, but that may be a sign that they've come up with a plan to uh, do something and, and you want to be on the outlook for that. So the, the suicide prevention uh, hotline is a pretty neat thing, um, and I learned quite a bit by uh, digging deeper into it, but there's essentially five actions you can take for helping someone uh, in emotional pain, and, and it's like I said, it's okay to ask, are you thinking about hurting yourself? And, and if you encounter that situation, you want to remain with the individual, keep them safe, and, and make sure there's no items around that they can use to uh, 
potentially hurt themselves if you encounter that situation. Uh, you want to get help and identify uh, people in your own organization who you can call quickly and not leave that individual alone, uh, get them to the counselor and uh, um, follow the appropriate procedures. Um, and if it happens to be over the phone, you can also use these uh, suicide prevention uh, numbers and, and you want to stay connected and, and make sure you stay in touch with that person if there's a crisis that has happened. Uh, for situations like these, these are the big ones that you'll want to figure out how to put into your emergency action plan. And, and again, how do you handle this type of situation? And, um, you know, an important part, if you encounter these situations, you need to maintain safety for yourself and others. So if there's a dangerous situation, you have a person who's armed, uh, you, you also don't want to necessarily put yourself in harm's way. you got to call for help. Don't just try to manage this on your own. If you're able to, uh, to try to defuse the situation, pull them into your office, talk into a quiet place where they may be more willing to uh, open up. Um, you don't want to leave your student alone, uh, but you don't want to place yourself in danger either. And, and it's going to vary from place to place, but uh, your school should have a protocol or the district should. And if not, we can certainly uh, look into developing protocols for this. Uh, so that uh, you know how to handle these situations when they do arise, just like we would practice uh, a, a sudden cardiac event and, and going to get the AED machine. Um, another thing that you may not think about is uh, your own mental health. You know, uh, the student-athlete difficulties that, that you encounter can be quite broad, and, and they can weigh on you. Um, you know, sometimes you may feel helpless that you can't really change their situation, and uh, you need to know your limits and, and have reasonable expectations for yourself. You want to do everything you can to help the child, but there are things that may not be in your control and you can't change that. Um, so I think the biggest thing here is that a trainer has a responsibility to recognize and refer and follow those procedures appropriately. Um, and, and if you're getting to the point where you're starting to feel excessive stress or worry, uh, you need to take a step back and, and also take care of yourself. And, and hopefully you have somebody that can, you can uh, lean on to turn the problem over to them or, or give you a breather. And that situation includes uh, dealing with uh, something like a completed suicide. Um, there are uh, help for responders uh, on those su suicide uh, survivor hotlines uh, that I was not aware of, uh, just so that you can talk to somebody and, and, and learn to help cope with the the mental ramifications of having witnessed that and dealt with it. Um, in terms of preventing some of these mental health processes and, and problems, there are a few areas that, that we already have in place, but they're probably ignored, or I shouldn't say ignored, uh, undervalued. If you look at our UIL pre-participation physical, we do have some questions for these mass physicals that are done. And, and, uh, I tend to think they're glossed over. Um, uh, you know, they, they, ha they have the questions on there. Are you stressed? Do you want to weigh more or less? And uh, sometimes it's difficult to ask kids those uh, in, in those quick situations. But um, if they, they put more information and, and hopefully their parent has also been the one filling the form out with them, um, you know, you can identify some of those if your group re reviews those physicals before they see uh, the physicians in the mass physical setting. 
Uh, in a one-on-one -on -one setting, I, I would hope that the physician uh, also uh, asks those questions and uh, things such as feeling safe at home and access to firearms as, as we're often trained to do. Um, and, and remember to use open-ended questions. You don't need to say, are you depressed? Do you have a mental disorder? But it can be something as simple as, are you sad? Are you feeling hopeless? Do you feel safe at home? Or uh, are there other situations I need to be aware of? Um, and you need to ask yourself, what are, the, what are the protocols at your institution? Maybe you don't have one. Uh, do you know who to call in emergency scenarios? Uh, if you have a student who's actively trying to commit suicide, uh, do you call your, your campus police? Um, you know, who are those emergency contacts that you need to have on a sheet of paper on the wall or on your phone ready to go in case you encounter that? Um, and you, and you want to have those names and numbers uh, accessible. Uh, the other thing is, you know, what do you do for after hours? Uh, if you're at practice and it's 6 p.m. And, and all of a sudden you encounter one of these situations, does your school have a protocol on how you handle that if, if your athletes, you know, walking home or, or going off on their own? Uh, you don't want to ignore that situation and, and just hope that tomorrow's a better day and nothing happened because uh, that's a guaranteed way to uh, make sure you have a big problem. And you need to understand what your responsibilities are to report uh, abuse and, and assault that, that may have been mentioned to you or you have a concern for. Uh, you need to likely fill out your CPS report and, and obviously report it to your administration so uh, we can act on that as, as quickly as possible. Um, and so, you know, the, the mental health game plan is difficult at your level, again, because you're dealing with minors. And so they don't have the ability to consent to treatment or, or necessarily volunteer information. So you really need to know your school's policies and procedures and how you uh, have counselors or other individuals prepared to help you with these scenarios and how you notify parents of concerns uh, and your team physicians if they're involved. Uh, you want to make sure you have a written document uh, in your emergency action plan with these contact numbers. Again, their after-hours protocol and contact info. Uh, you want to make sure the staff is educated. Um, many of you are, are one or two-person uh, training staffs if you're lucky. So you really have to rely on your assistant coaches and coaches um, to, to understand why this is important. And you need to make sure that they have a copy of those plans uh, uh, so that uh, there's an understanding of this is what happens when one of these situations occur. Uh, and, and being prepared is the best thing you can do uh, to handle these scenarios when they pop up rather than running around like your hair's on fire and not knowing what to do. And if an incident does occur, you want to review your procedures and see where any failings occurred or what could have been done better so that you can revise them uh, if necessary. Uh, again, the NCA has. Um, many good uh, handouts and uh, best practices that they're better to implement at, at their level than we may be at the high school level. But the concepts in here regarding um, what depression is, what eating disorders are, um, how do you, you create a mental health team for your, your source? I highly recommend you look at these free resources. They have modules that you can take for free on the internet. They're available to coaches as well, and they have modules that uh, 
teach or, or help train how to be uh, uh, better at empathy and, and understanding these mental health issues. Uh, these are free and accessible to the public, and I highly recommend you look at them for some guidance. I know the NATA also has a, uh, a list of resources on their website uh, where uh, you can uh, access some of the mental health issues as well. But the Sports Science Institute through the NCAA is a really good model that you can take some, some good pieces for and uh, uh, incorporate into your emergency action plans. I know um, uh, Bubba later is going to talk on some of the development of those plans, so I'm not going to get into that too much. Uh, I've included a few resources here online that you can go to uh, and um, get some other training uh, on your own if you're so interested. So with that, I'd like to open it up to any questions uh, Jeremy and Sean may have. All right, so we had an athlete that died uh, on the track. So uh, technically died in the hospital, but we were performing CPR there on the track. And so it's kind of like you, you talked about the mental health there and you know, they, they had counselors come in for the school um, and talk with all the kids, but it was really like the strangest situation because the next day we had standardized testing. So the day after this kid died, I'm in a testing room having performed CPR on, on one of my athletes, been to the hospital and talked to his mom. And she said, you know, like what happened and, you know, just having those conversations, I'm in the, in a giving a state test without like any sort of uh, consideration for what happened. It's like, it, it was truly like, I, f I felt that they said, hey, we just need your statement, write it down, send it to me, and you're on your own. And like, that was before like the NATA opened up the AT's CARES program. And um, it was like, it kind of actually started me and Bubba, we were going to kind of create our own. And then just at the same time, the NATA was coming up with AT's CARES program. And so, like, it, it is truly just amazing the, the amount that I've learned from going through AT Cares or some of the other mental health issues that they've had. But um, have you had situations like that where Absolutely. athletic trainers have come to you after a big loss? Absolutely. Uh, as I was talking to trainers about this, that's actually one of the scenarios that popped up. Um, same thing, trainer dealing with an athlete death and was back at work the next day, didn't take any time off. Uh, didn't necessarily get approached with uh, uh, a debriefing or how are you holding up uh, uh, on your own. Um, and, and all of us respond differently to uh, stressful and emotional situations like that. So some people may be able to compartmentalize and, and, and handle that. Some may not. I think it, in that kind of stressful situation, it actually would be better to take a step back um, because you not you may not realize the the psychological effects it had on you. Um, that that is certainly a, a difficult situation, uh, and, and obviously if you're not encountering that all the time, uh, it's difficult to process, and, and you may not realize that it affects your attitude. Uh, you may check out mentally and, and just be going through the motions, uh, and as a trainer, that can going to be very detrimental, right? You may, you may not be there for your kids in the way you normally would be and not even realize. Um, so I think the fact that AT Cares has some of those resources and there's these hotlines you can call 
to just talk through it or just vent it, um, it, it, it's a bigger thing than, than many people realize to get those emotions out of you. Um, I, I think it, as a physician, it's, it's harder for me these days to relate because you kind of learn how to compartmentalize that in our training. Um, and so we're very good about hiding that and moving forward. I wouldn't say that doesn't affect us. Uh, and, and I think it's absolutely important that trainers also get uh, access to some type of counseling like that. You may not need it for long, but, but it, it's still a very important thing. Okay, so following that same thought, what are some of the things that you have done personally to cope and deal with really tough situations as a medical professional? Sure. Um, I, I, you need to make time for yourself. You know, uh, just like you guys, we, we work ridiculous hours. Uh, I'd say probably you guys even work more uh, for the most part. But if you don't take care of yourself and, and your mind and body, you can't function at your best just like the athlete. Uh, you need good sleep, uh, good nutrition. Don't rely on alcohol as a, a coping mechanism to, to deal with that stress. I'm going to have a cold one after, before you know it, that turns into six or more. Um, that, that's a big part of it. Um, I'm fortunate that I have, uh, uh, my, my wife is a, a big sounding board for me, so I'm able to unload a lot of those stresses without judgment. Uh, and uh, that's, a, that's a big thing for me. Um, and, and she'll probably tell you as, uh, more than any, I'm, I'm probably like some of those stubborn athletes that doesn't want to admit that I'm, I'm struggling with some of those, those uh, emotions. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the way a lot of us were raised. It's a sign of weakness. You don't do that. Um, but uh, talking through those things can make a big difference. Um, talking to, the, I have a good relationship with most of my trainers, so they know that they can come to me and say, hey, how, am I feeling wrong here? Did I do something wrong? Um, and it's normal to beat yourself up. You go back and you wonder, what could I have done differently? What did I miss that, that I didn't see? You know, was he showing signs of, of crying out for help and, and I just didn't see it? Um, those are all normal reactions, and, and, and that's why the, the debriefing and, and revision of the process is also important so you can see if you can handle that better next time. We had an athlete that <clears throat> he kept coming in, football player, big guy, strong, you know, a lot of potential, kept coming in with just like nonsense injuries, like really, like it was just one complaint after another. And, and so it was about the same time that I was going through this course and the other like mental health course. And, and I was like, Hey, why don't you just come in here and talk to me for a minute? And like, Hey man, you know, what's going on? You know, how's, how's life at home? And you know, how are you eating? Those kind of things. Right. And just asking these other open-ended questions and realizing it wasn't really about the injury that he was complaining about. Cause there was an issue at home where like his parents were kind of like fighting for custody and he didn't want to go st live and stay with his dad. And, uh, it wasn't really anything about the sport, but it was affecting him. And that's the way it was manifesting. And, and I was, you know, I'm thankful that I was in these trainings and that I had the opportunity to stop and realize there's something else. It's not just suck it up. You're a football player, go play. It was, there's something else going on. Absolutely. But then in, in that situation also, you know, you, you talked about knowing your athletes and building that relationship. So then after that, it was kind of like, um, to me, it was odd. It was like, yeah, he confided in me and we, we worked through the situation together. But then afterwards, it was like he kind of didn't trust me to take care of the other medical issues. And I think it was a matter of like <clears throat> new coaches 
and you know I had some conflicts with some of those new coaches and and so it's it's really just strange to me that like we had this connection this where I really helped him and then after that it was like I, I don't know I can't ask him anything anymore hmm. so yeah it's tough territory to manage you know there there could be new issues that popped up um you know kids always wonder are you going to wrap me out to the coach and you know, and then I'm done and uh, it, it can be tough to maintain those relationships, especially because we are in positions of authority over them. And uh, they're, they're learning to challenge that authority as their mind and body develops. So uh, it's a big balancing act. But I, I agree with you. You'll encounter that quite a bit and, and see athletes who physically, you can't really pick up anything wrong with them. But if you don't ask, those mental stressors, are manifesting themselves in physical complaints. And uh, those can be difficult to sort out. So when we're talking about, you know, there's obviously some schools and you, you, you kind of touched on this. There are schools that have put this into their protocols and have potentially went through their, their, their administration um, through whatever avenues that they need to go through. But what if you're in a school that hasn't? What if you're in a school that this is so like, like you, like you mentioned, this is the, well, we don't talk about stuff like that. I'm not allowed to ask Mm -hmm. any questions. I'm not allowed to whatever. I know a lot of probably the, the, some of the city schools, some of the um, larger school districts have started this process. Um, But if you're in that little small rural school, or even if you are in a big school that hasn't, hasn't touched on this what can we do to start you know we're, we've got a lot of time right now we can possibly start asking our athletic director we can ask our administration we can have these conversations now of what do we do and how do we put this into our this is something that we need to look out for absolutely i, I think it's important to start the conversation because they may not have thought of it as well because it's not very well talked about. And so you can use a lot of those models that are published by the NCAA, links on the NATA. And I always think it's better if if you're going to bring a problem forward, be part of the solution, right? Don't just pass it off and say, hey, you guys need to give me a plan. In addition to that, as an athletic trainer, you want to have a say in how those processes are going to run because you're going to be the one doing the actual heavy lifting. And so those models that are online, uh, for example, there, there's a, a, a crisis, a suicide crisis sheet uh, that I came across, and it, it kind of goes through step by step what you do, how do you call this person, don't leave the athlete alone, and, and you can create a template. It may not be the final uh, uh, report there, but um, if you can help build that, that part of the plan on your own, you can tweak it based on what administration may want added, what the district adds, what the lawyers add. Um, but I think if you start building that, uh, there's a lot of good information out there. And if you have a team position that you work with, you really ought to lean heavily on them because if you're worried about not being backed uh, by your administration or, or other people, you can bring another layer of weight to it uh, if you reach out to them. Uh, case in point, I have a great relationship with the trainer out in Katula. And so she's used me for a lot of her policies and procedures, and she's actually created many of them uh, for me to review and, and okay. 
And uh, I, I think their administration has been very receptive to that. Um, this is a, a great area for shared uh, knowledge. And it's the great thing about the ATC network and, and team physician network, we're all in this together. So you also wanna build on, on, on the knowledge that's already out there. Um, if somebody already has these protocols in place, I'm sure they'd be willing to give you their copy to help you build your own and tweak it for your, for your facility. I think those are simple things that, that can be done. Um, so when, when we are, when we're going about this and when we're trying to put these, these protocols in place, um, I think some of the, the handouts that you actually mentioned were the NATA handouts. There's some really great NATA handouts. Um, they're on the NATA's website, uh, member or not, you can, you can have access to them. There's a suicide awareness handout. There is a bullying and hazing handout. There's a mental health handout and there is a helping a patient or an athlete in a crisis. And a lot of that follows along as Jeremy had mentioned with the AT cares stuff. And I would definitely recommend, um, following up with that for, for people, um, and, and, and resourcing that as, as well. But like you mentioned, how do, so if you're, if you're trying to set up in that situation, if you're in that situation and you're trying to set protocols and you're trying to get a hold of somebody, try to talk to somebody that's, that is, that's done it and that's put it in, obviously coming from the collegiate setting, we had a different avenue to go. Um, I mean, you know how that is. I would potentially contact you as my physician and, and, or I probably had mental health professionals, um, that I could contact at 24 hours a day because we did get those text messages where a, a high school athlete may not have their high school athletic trainers, um, cell phone number, but we would get those text messages of, Hey, I'm not feeling good about myself or, Hey, I'm, I'm this. Um, so when you start thinking, very acutely, the worst case scenario, suicide prevention um, type scenario, when you're talking talk to the athletic trainer, you're in the school setting, you're seeing the, the red flags or, or caution and, and or the I need to take action flags. What, obviously within our administration, physician, what would your step be? Like, what would your how do you approach this depending upon obviously the situation that you're in? Right. So I don't think anybody would ever fault you for sounding the alarm if you had that much concern. So I think the first step is to don't be afraid to act. Okay. If you're by yourself and it's after hours and you need to call 911, you do it. You know, we can deal with the ramifications afterwards. Um, if you're fortunate enough to be in a scenario where you have an assistant trainer with you, um, you know, get them on the horn or one of your coaches so that you can stay with that individual and not have them disappear. And, and then it's a goose chase trying to find out where they run off to or, or what they may be doing. You definitely don't want to leave that athlete alone. Um, unfortunately, it's difficult at a high school level to, to uh, have resources such as a, a clinical psychologist like they do at the universities. You know, that's a big one that we would jump into right away at the university level uh, because we have a resource. Um, and, and, and that's much harder to do. And your school counselors may or may not be 
trained or prepared enough at that level to deal with those situations. Um, but a simple thing like calling the crisis hotline, type it into your phone, uh, the, the, Texas, the text number in there, 741741, um, they will help you get through that situation as well if you've got no other hands on deck and it's just you and the individual. Um, I think that's how you, you got to take the, the acuity of the situation. If there's an imminent threat to harm of themselves or somebody else, that's not something you can ignore and just say, well, I'll report it to the admin and counselors in the morning or, or fire off an email. That, that's when I'm going to send off the, the, the notice to 911 or campus police um, so you can escalate that uh, appropriately. Uh, and there are, you know, if you're fortunate to be in a big city like San Antonio, there are uh, psychiatric emergency rooms uh, where those athletes can be taken and be evaluated and not necessarily in the hospital setting. Uh, you may not have that luxury in a small town, um, but, but the regional centers there are probably where they'll, they'll start with so that that person can be monitored until they felt, feel that the, the threat is, is uh, not as likely. What's the, um, w when you start looking at the, the list of things that you would put, put out for symptoms or, or I'm not, I'm sorry, not symptoms as much, but things to look out for, um, bullying was a big one that's on there. And bullying is one that I've seen a lot in, especially your high school student that starts that descent into how do we as athletic trainers, while not pushing mm -hmm. that athlete over the edge or not pushing that athlete into a situation where they then get bullied more because we protect them right or how do we work in that in that world that can be very precarious and very um right i think that goes back to building up the culture and and that's where you can really lean on your coaches right you know, these athletes and your teammates, they're your brothers and you want to protect them just like you would anybody else. Uh, why do you want to tear them down? Yeah, he may not be the class favorite, but that behavior doesn't uh, help anyone. And I think there's got to be a tolerance level that comes from the top level that's going to tell everybody this type of behavior is not accepted. Uh, you can't condone it. You can't contribute to it. And uh, I think if you set that culture it makes it a lot easier to, in the long run, um, have less of that. And, and, and that's where the education process comes in, right? You know, as kids, we all picked on each other and we made fun of each other. Uh, uh, but there's a line that you just shouldn't cross. And, and, and that's where our role is, is not just uh, professionals, but, but mentors uh, can really um, educate those kids on how to handle those situations, why it's not okay. What are the potential ramifications of doing that, and and uh, you know why why it shouldn't be done? And then as we step into the student has spoken to you, they they've talked to you about this. That there is a a issue. You brought up parents, mm -hmm. the parents not understanding the 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 injury. A lot of parents. I, and I, and obviously a lot of our parents, the, the, the Catula is a great example. The Catula parent that's the old cowboy that's off the ranch that's like, no, they're fine. Stop yeah. being soft. Stop being weak. 
Um, how do we approach that with that parent to bring, obviously utilizing our physician staff, or obviously utilizing our administration, but how do we start those conversations or that education with them when the student obviously ha has an issue? Yeah, that, that's, so I'm, I'm handout crazy in my clinic, right? I, I spew out so much information about an injury and, and what to expect that it's difficult for a person to retain that level. And that's where there are a lot of handouts that I'll give regarding a, a specific injury and how to uh, uh, expect it to affect you. What's my re expected return timeline? Why is, uh, for example, a growth plate injury, uh, uh, it's not a big deal, but it is at the same time. Um, and, and the education is key. The, I, I've had those conversations ad nauseum, and, and sometimes it is the thing where I have to prove it to them. Unfortunately, a lot of times it comes from recurrent injuries, and, and we keep having that conversation of this is why this is happening to your child. It's not because they're weak. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a saying in, in medicine, you know, uh, uh, children are not just little adults. Uh, they're growing and developing, and we're we're dealing with that as, as well as the, the stressors they're being put through in their sports uh, uh, training. So uh, on my end, it, it is a lot of education over and over and over. Um, as you guys know, you guys have probably treated multiple uh, family members in some families. And, and uh, unfortunately, it takes a few uh, episodes to sometimes sink in. And so, yeah, we went through this with Donnie before. So we know exactly what's going on. We get it. Um, unfortunately it does take that sometimes one of the other things you mentioned too was it was like gambling let's let, yeah. let's go with one of, one of the examples that you gave um and obviously that's going to change i mean if you are accessible to a gam to gambling areas and and things like that if you're in central oklahoma or southern oklahoma and you know, you're, you're every one of your kids is probably when they turn 18, that's what they do is they go to the, the casino or they go to whatever. Um, they go to they go to these things and they start doing this because, hey, it's the new thing I can start or it's the it's now also the, um, the other things that could be potential alcohol, whatever. When do you start looking and or seeing that? as an athletic trainer as excessive and when do you start seeing that as kids being kids right. or that that can be a very fine line um and and i think if you see it becoming a big part of their life and it's all the time all the time you're seeing it on the phone you know i can remember in high school there were there were guys who you know they're throwing dice out in the, the playground and, and they're sharing money on it you know that's that to me is going to be a red flag and say, Hey, you really know what you're doing here. And, and um, you can get in a lot of trouble for this. And uh, that, That's not an easy one. Um, Cause they're also good at hiding it from, from everybody and say, let's, you know, it's usually rumor and word of mouth that that kind of gets everybody's attention on it. But I, I think that also goes back to knowing your kids and uh, what are they into and what are they about? I, okay, so I had one more question too from from Lorena. Actually, she just texted me this. So, her question was, "How would you approach favoritism 
with an athlete and especially when you see it having a huge impact on their health their their mental health that i think goes back to that culture and the coaching staffs but how, how do you approach that as a medical professional to 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 potentially assist in that right so that that's definitely a, a difficult part um and, and i think the coaches play a huge part in that because they may treat the star athlete different from the guy who never gets on the field and and uh, there, there's not an easy way around that other than, than um, you know, educating the coaches and say, we, you're making our job more difficult by doing that. Um, but I think the, for us as, as uh, trainers and physicians, I always tell my athletes, I'm going to treat you no differently than as if you were one of my professional athletes coming in. You're, you're, you're just younger and you're not getting paid for it. But I'm going to treat you exactly like I would them. The rehab is the same and you're not getting any um, better treatment or worse treatment because of who you are, what your position is on the team. Uh, they need to know that they're going to have that objective attention from you guys. Um, and, and sometimes athletes may not feel that way because you may be spending more time uh, with another athlete. And, and a lot of times it's really just because that person's injury doesn't require the attention uh, that the other injury may. Um, so it, it's a balancing act. But I think if you address that with the athletes and say, I'm not treating you any differently, this is the standard of care, I think they get it. Um, but you also have to get them to buy into their, um, their rehab itself. If they don't understand that this is a road we got to follow to get you back to where you want to be, um, you're, you're probably going to have that kid who doesn't come to treatment and then wonders why he still hurts or why he can't get back on the field. Right. I know that you've mentioned these a couple of times and obviously we're talking about mental health EAP and monitoring mental health. So recently I did a podcast with Carrie Wood. It was called monitoring mental health. And she, she sends out a, like a Google doc survey. It's got like five questions. She sends it out like every week, every Sunday night to her athletes. So that's another great resource for athletic trainers. Cause it's something we've already given them the example we've given, you know, we talked about how and why she does that. And then we also talked with Lucas Dargo probably a year or two ago about the role as a mandated reporter, because I know you mentioned that, you know, knowing how and when to report. So those are resources that are available here on the sports medicine broadcast that people can go back and look at. And again, just just trying to be helpful. And so those things are as best as possible, are ready to go put into practice deal there. So I know we're, we're supposed to have uh, a second part to this with Bubba joining and talking about forming the EAP, but other than what you've covered here, is there anything else you'd like to leave us with, Dr. Lopez? The only other thing is I thought about it. Um, a lot of the kids spend quite a great deal of time in your training rooms. So on those resources from the NATA and the NCAA, they have a lot of posters that you can easily have the school print up or you can print up in your room. And having those posted about mental health and, and those types of things uh, can really, as your kids are spending time in there, get them curious about it, uh, make them learn about it more. Um, you know, we some of you may do it for hydration level and what their urine color should be, but there's no reason um, you can't put some of these uh, graphics up regarding mental health. And I, I think that's an easy thing for, for you to do to, to kind of show that that environment is, is safe and open for them. All right, Sean, you have any other comments questions before we close it out 
Not really. I think that's a great idea, and that's a that's a that's an easy way to also notice the the athlete that's interested in it. And if there's a if there's a kid that comes in and it you you notice, I mean, you notice things like that. You notice the kid that's looking at the suicide or or the helping an athlete in crisis or mental health when, and they're reading it and they're, you know, it's something that you can maybe then approach that as, all right, maybe this is something that I need to step off to the side and, and have a conversation with this athlete. Um, and, and go at that a little bit differently. Where did, um, I guess one question I do have, where did we miss the bus from, I guess, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm that old in the profession, but, you know, now we're now in the profession of we're talking about mental health a lot more. And I remember, you know, mental health classes, a lot of being uh, like bulimia, meat eating disorders. And that was all where, where did, where did we change? I think it, the stigma has been removed. Um, and, and we probably can thank a lot of the, the professional athletes for helping that with the way technology exists today. You know, information is everywhere and kids have everything on their phones and they're not as likely to hide it as they used to. Um, so, um, that I think has really opened the door for those conversations to, um, helping that and, and, um, make it more acceptable to talk about those things. All right. So Dr. Lopez, somebody wants to reach out, get a hold of you. Obviously you mentioned the resources from NATA or from the NCAA uh, sports health Institute. I have the links in here and, and you'll share the links with the, the PowerPoint and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. But if somebody wants to reach out, to you and get a hold of you, get more information, what's going to be the best way to do that? A couple ways. You can easily go through our website. It's sportsmedsa.com. That's our practice website. And I can tell you uh, we're all on there. Feel free to reach out to any of us through the office. It's got our contact number. Uh, it's 210-699-8326 or 210-699-TEAM uh, uh, for, for easy reference. Um, even if you are not affiliated with our schools, we're more than happy to uh, be a source of information or guidance to you. Uh, we have a big outreach here in South Texas for the smaller communities uh, that aren't here in San Antonio. Um, I've got people who come all the way from Laredo, Del Rio, and uh, Corpus, uh, Victoria, Goliad, um, as far as Sonora and Alpine. So um, Feel free to reach out if we can assist you or point you in the right direction. Maybe it's a resource in your area. If we've got a connection, we can help uh, provide that. So just because the podcast does reach outside of Texas, so Alpine to San Antonio is roughly like a seven-hour drive, right? So it's a pretty big reach is what he's saying because, you know, some people forget how big Texas is, and that's that's like the already the, the west side of Texas, and then the furthest west side of Texas is where he's going, so... So, yes, they're definitely willing to reach out and help. Sean, somebody wants to reach out and get a hold of you. What's going to be the best way? Uh, email, um, probably the best, seanreedyatc at gmail.com. Uh, we've got a work email as well, uh, sreedy at bethpagetx.com. Yeah. seanreedyatc at gmail.com is probably the easiest one. And reedy is spelled the exact same way as ready, like, hey, I'm ready to go. So it's I was born ready. I was born ready. 
And, and my email, just uh, for information, is hector.lopez, that's L-O-P-E-Z, at smasatx.com. All right, and of course, you know how to get a hold of me. I am Jeremy Jackson, host of the Sports Medicine Broadcast. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash mentalhealthEAP. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash mentalhealthEAP. And I'll have links, I'll have the show notes, but also I'll have the way to uh, sign up and take the CEU course for all the information Dr. Lopez has shared with us today. So for Jeremy Jackson, Dr. Hector Lopez, Sean Reedy, and the Sports Medicine Broadcast, that is a wrap. Thanks. Thank you.